welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending October 29th, 2022. This week, that guy from Gilmore Girls Brother is really, really famous now. Also really, really rich. (laughs) That too. I'm Kim Hollis, and I'm going to Disney World. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator, gamer, and the best damn box office analyst in the business. Damn right. And he's not here to say otherwise. That's right. Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and someone who has to start saying no to 5 a.m. flights. In the immortal words of Larry Miller, I guess I might as well stay up all night. (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who just got his mic to work. Is this thing on? (laughs) Check, check. Check. This week in our deep dive, we're going right to Warner Brothers Discovery as they have big news. Fresh off the premiere of their latest mildly successful DC tentpole blockbuster, Warner Brothers Discovery has announced a leadership change at DC Films. In an industry shocker, James Gunn and his producing partner Peter Safran have been installed as co-CEOs of DC Films answering directly to Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, David Zasloff. I'll be honest, didn't see this one coming. I was sure Dwayne Johnson was a shoo-in for the job. Did any of us see this coming? No. (laughs) I'm going to hearken back to a TV show from long, long ago called Night Court, where the guy was a judge and he once revealed how he became a judge. And that was, they went down the list of emergency hires on a Sunday. And he was like the 17th call because he was the only one there on a Sunday available to answer the phone. Peter Saffron is pretty much the equivalent of that for DC. What happened was they had another candidate they wanted, Dan Lynn, and oh, it got messy. Uh, I don't know how detailed we want to get here, but uh, the gist is Michael DeLuca, who already works for WBD, really really wanted this job, campaigned for this job. Past a certain point, it became obvious he wasn't getting the job. He didn't want someone to come in who would, you know, want to think on his own, act on his own, or do things that might actually go against the career of Michael DeLuca. So DeLuca starts looking around on the board for a party he can push around, and that's just the reality of the situation. Zaslav can't get anybody good, and he doesn't understand what's going on, so he gets played by someone who is really good at the Hollywood and corporate political game and voila you wind up with james gunn and the guy who once produced oh let's pick one here uh over her dead body meet the spartans vampires suck all of which you can probably find for 99 cents on the dvd shelf and that's the only where place they probably are because i doubt they're even significant enough to get streaming deals he also importantly did a web series in 2008 called pg porn with someone named James Gunn. Yes, what happened here is they basically found the only two people who really wanted this job and were home and willing to answer David Zaslov's call. This is the end result of 25 incompetent decisions. James Gunn has been a DC insider for the last little while. He produced the, they call it a reboot, The Suicide Squad, although it pretty much is a sequel to the previous Suicide Squad movie. And And how did that do? I liked it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and and let's remember that he also got to do the Peacemaker spinoff on HBO Max, which is coming back for a second season. And some people say is actually pretty good. So he he had a foot in the door and he is well regarded in the superhero genre. I mean, Marvel lets him direct the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. That's the other part of this. First of all, pretty good is the bar that WB is aiming for at this point. And they may not have even cleared that. I was joking about the Suicide Squad. Yes, you can argue it was a pandemic film, but it was always a terrible idea for reboot. And it only happened for reasons that we will get into in a minute. But the most important thing here is the awkwardness this creates, because on the same day this happened, you can't make this up. Marvel released its new trailer for the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. (laughs) created by James Gunn, who also in May of next year will be doing a media tour for his release, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. The person in charge of DC will spend part of the next six months promoting two Marvel projects. And if that doesn't summarize the entire situation, I don't know what could. I want to take this back to what's called the Snyderverse, which is this dark and gritty feel that a lot of the DC movies have because Zack Snyder has basically been driving the narrative and the production value for some time. No matter how you cut it, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad was in that dark and gritty vein. But at the same time, there's a perception that James Gunn is not going to continue on with that Snyderverse look and feel. What can we expect from James Gunn's DC movies? Oh, let's play a game. Hey, Kim, who directed the movie Dawn of the Dead? The 2004 version? That would be Zack Snyder. Who wrote that film? Hmm. A guy called James Gunn? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's that. Look, folks, I, I don't even know what pretense we should have here about all this. You're supposed to give people the benefit of the doubt, the clean slate, and all of these things. I want to do that. Really, I do. But let's be honest. Michael DeLuca wanted complete control of Joker 2 and pretty much did everything he had to do to assassinate potential people who might get in his way. Similarly, they're protecting the Batman sequel, the Arkham Asylum film that's upcoming. So one person has two projects in mind and pretty much will do whatever it takes and doesn't care about the entire future of WBD, just the stuff that's on his desk for his career. They play along with that. And what happens is just absolutely amazing. I mean, if you look at the historical perspective here, not that long ago, somebody went back and found James Gunn's old tweets from many, many years ago and basically forced his firing from Disney. Couldn't work for Disney anymore. DC is like, oh, oh, we'll take him. Come do a film for us. Now that film's an absolute disaster. It is a financial debacle for the ages, but people like James Gunn. He is easy to work with. Talent likes him. And frankly, those are things that WBD could use right now. So after he does this unsuccessful film, Marvel takes him back. The timeline's a little murky here. Marvel had already taken him back by that point. But the point is, he goes back to working with Marvel, which is what everybody knows is what he wanted. Then all this nonsense happens at Warner Brothers. They start looking around. and They realize we can't do any better. What if we picked this guy? And so they target Saffron. And Saffron says, I'm a business guy. I just want to do the numbers. I don't want to be the creative on this. So he picks his friend Gun. And now we have two people with no experience on this level doing this and whose last project together was, let's say it, financially, it was a failure. Now, it was a failure in the same way that Pixar's Arnold was. It wasn't completely within their control, but it also is a film that got a B cinema score. What did Black Adam get as a cinema score? A B. 
I would much, much sooner trust Danny Garcia and The Rock with my franchise than I would Peter Safran and Gunn. And that's not anything against Gunn, who I personally like. And Kim and I have been with his brother for 20 years now. I mean, let's just be honest. We are Gilmore Girls super fans. But Danny Garcia's track record is she turns moderate budget films into worldwide blockbusters that make back their money. Gunn is the Guardians of the Galaxy guy. And after that, you start looking around it's a lot of slither. It is not the same track record. Saffron can at least claim he's the conjuring guy, which isn't really true. James Wan is, but Saffron is with Wan and Wan did Aquaman, which means Saffron did Aquaman. So there are tenuous connections here to what's happening. It just doesn't seem like the foundation you want to make. And Raul, the reality is this probably isn't going to last a long time anyway, is it? It all depends on the financial outlook of the company as a whole in the short and medium term. Is Warner Bros. Discovery going to be able to continue continue to survive as they continue to cut and cut and cut and lose and lose and lose money. First, we have to acknowledge that there's three movies on the slate already that are going to be released under the name of James Gunn and Peter Safran. And they have essentially nothing to do with those productions, but they are now going to be held responsible for those movies. And there's no guarantee that any one of them, be it the Aquaman sequel, the Shazam sequel, or the Flash movie, there's no guarantee that any of these movies are going to be successful. If they're not successful, they're going to get the blame, even though, again, they had nothing to do with the production of those movies. And if they're not successful, Warner Bros. Discovery probably is not going to continue to exist as an independent entity for much longer. Yeah. Analytically, what we're talking about here is we think that WBD is up for sale within the next three years, possibly quite a bit sooner, but they have to pretend like they're not. And it has to be business as usual, like they're trying for the next 10 years, which is what Zaslav said. Actually came out and said, hey, they report straight to me. These are my guys now. Well, the problem is we don't know if Zavlov is going to have any power whatsoever two or three years down the line. And it takes two or three years to get tentpole productions up and running and actually in theaters so that we can judge their performance, which means, as Raul has said, he's going to be judged for films he had nothing to do with, including The Flash, which is a hot potato. And he is the last person standing right as it goes off. I mean, it is... I wouldn't want that with my name. That's all I'll say about that. So he's going to get at most three projects, possibly, if I'm being generous, five projects that are going to get off the ground and be done before we're pretty sure WBD becomes somebody else's problem, which means this is a temporary headline grabbing thing. And I want to emphasize that because I feel that's what's going on here. In professional sports, there is a concept known as winning the press conference, which is what the Jacksonville Jaguars did when they hired a successful head football coach. What was his name, Kim? Yes, that was Urban Meyer. How did that go for the Jacksonville Jaguars? They got the early headline, woohoo, we've got a national championship winning coach. They had tremendous success with him, right? Uh... <laughs> yeah. James Gunn gets attention right now, which is what Zaslov needs, because for the next few media cycles, nobody is saying David Zaslov's name, and frankly, that's what he wants and needs, because it has become so bad that, I mean, I'm not saying he's Mark Zuckerberg, but in Hollywood, he is not a very popular person. So it is very, very nice for him to have someone who talent respects and James Gunn, who can draw attention as a lightning rod for a while. This buys him 12 to 18 months while people curiously look and see what James Gunn does. And honestly, since... <sighs> 
The belief is this is going to be a struggle for the next couple of years anyway. At least I'm happy because James Gunn appeared on Harley Quinn season three. There's a Harley Quinn season four, and I feel much, much better about Harley Quinn seasons five and six now that James Gunn is in charge of DC. Even though it's technically not his division, that's animation. Still, at least that's my silver lining. And also, my weird conspiracy theory here is the odds of Amy Sherman Palladino directing a comic book movie just went up because, hey, she has worked for 20 years with the brother of the guy in charge of dc films so there's that maybe they'll uh, bring back that zatanna series that that they just canceled <laughs> yeah you, you mentioned david michael deluca and essentially he was looking to protect the joker sequel as well as the sequel to the batman which exists outside of this snyderverse neither of those two movies tie into this henry cavill as superman and ben affleck as batman universe that Zack snyder has built out and it seems that deluca has succeeded in that those two movies the arty movies are not part of what gun and saffron uh, have taken over so even there there still seems to be a lot of synergy confusion at the studio as to like, oh, we can make Batman movies, but we're not making those Batman movies. It's very unusual. But they're also in charge of some of the HBO Max projects, certainly not the ones that have been canceled. But early on in David Zaslov's reign at Warner Bros. Discovery, James Gunn said, don't worry, Peacemaker season two is coming. And so it seems rather certain now that that is safe and that is happening. Other series, well, a few have been canceled. It almost feels like we're doing a Green Lights and Cancellation segment at this point. The upcoming Green Lantern series slated for HBO Max is being redeveloped. It hasn't been canceled, but they're changing the focus as now they're going to focus on Green Lantern John Stewart when previously it was going to focus on two other Green Lanterns. I'm not going to get into the nerdy minutia of it. And also they have a new writer for the upcoming Arkham Asylum series on HBO Max, which is supposed to be a spinoff from Matt Reeves' The Batman. And in addition to that, while previously it was reported that this Arkham Asylum series was actually a redevelopment of a previously announced Gotham PD series. Now, apparently, both those series, Arkham Asylum and Gotham PD, are in development. But given that they're spinoffs from The Batman, does that fall under... James Gunn and Peter Safran's DC films, or does that fall under Michael DeLuca's reign? This is all very confusing. See, you're touching on what drives me crazy here. We could actually talk about this in the upcoming Disney discussion, and we might. There is a new thing where consolidation is viewed as superior because it means fewer fiefdoms. And fiefdoms are often bad, especially in corporate Hollywood. Zaslav's plan here is to reduce the number of fiefdoms across the WBD lineup. However, in the process of doing so, we've just realized that there are still three fiefdoms at DC, arguably four. There is the DeLuca one. There is the James Gunn one that supposedly covers everything. There is the animation one, which is somebody else. And then there's whatever else Matt Reeves does, which, you know, there's going to be the Batman sequel, which was him and presumably includes DeLuca, but he also has an unannounced secret project that's in development. And apparently one of the concessions here was that James Gunn would stay away from all of that, which means they say James Gunn is reporting directly to Zaslav, but so are other people who are ostensibly lower than him on the corporate chart, which means all of this is just an entire misdirect and distraction. They're buying time because they're trying to kick the can down the road until they've got the finances lined up so that 
somebody else comes in and buys WBD. So we have just exhausted a lot of conversation about the theoreticals here. We could actually do more. I mean, like winners and losers. John Cena is a big winner in all of this. I swear to God. Harley Quinn fans, big winners. Troma Entertainment can brag that they created the guy who is now in charge of DC Comics. There are winners and losers in this that, you know, you can go into, but none of it really matters because this is not the lasting Kevin Feige thing we're expecting in all likelihood. This is a temporary distraction from it while Zasloff plans who's going to buy his company. This reminds me a lot of how Paramount had, ooh, they had the cinematic Star Trek movies with Chris Pine, but they still had the core uh, Star Trek universe with the original cast. And now that cinematic uh, Star Trek universe with Chris Pine is a punchline in Star Trek Lower Decks. That's what it's become. There's the core content, and then there's the spinoff content that nobody that is a hardcore fan really cares about. But that's that's all secondary. David, you mentioned the Disney news. Tell us more about that. Yes. Basically what happened was a very comfortable looking Bob Chappick performed a 40 minute interview with a Wall Street Journal reporter that you can pull up on YouTube right now. You can watch it in its entirety. And basically Chappick for the first time seems really comfortable on camera, which means he's confident in what he has done. And Disney is about to report earnings in about 10 days. And for that reason, and it'll be seven days by the time you, you hear this. I fully expect an exceptional earnings report call coming from Disney. But in the process, he also explained the move that confused Wall Street and Hollywood alike when he consolidated his multiple core businesses at Disney. There really had been five of them into two. And Kim, I know that we were talking about this earlier where we think it's brilliant. How does he perceive Disney at this point in terms of a binary existence? It is basically all the merchandise, which would include the parks because it's something you can do. You can buy tickets to go to the parks, the merch, the cruises, etc. And then the content side, which is Disney Plus and associated things. So basically, Disney has consolidated to the point that they're right brain and left brain now is the way I'm looking at it. They now have the tangible products on one side of the company and the intangible products on the other. The intangible products are all the creative. Everything that's Disney Plus, the digital stuff, all of the digital revenue that they're attaining. That is on that side. Whereas when you go to a theme park or when you buy, you know, mouse ears or whatever, when you go into, well, when you go to shop Disney and you buy something, that's the physical side. Now, Disney only has two parts because that makes a cleaner synergy machine, I guess. That's the way Chappick is looking at this. And that is exactly what Warner Brothers Discovery was theoretically trying to do here. Although I just mentioned two things in Disney. And then I turned around and mentioned arguably up to four things for the DC part of Warner Brothers Discovery alone. And that statement right there reinforces someone who gets it versus someone who doesn't. Yeah, looking at the way Zaslov's running Warner Bros. Discovery, he's presenting himself as the guy who's making the hard choices. Oh, yeah, we have to cancel this movie. Oh, yeah, we have to pull these shows off of HBO Max. But when it comes time to make the real hard decisions, where if we had to consolidate all DC projects under one single leadership, they can't pull the trigger on that. And I think that's one of the things that is most important at that company. And until they make the real hard decisions, the ones that force the company to look at things in a different way, way rather than the decisions that simply negatively impact their consumers, that company is not going to get cleaned up. Right. And for his part, Chappick, for the first time, really seemed like someone who wasn't faking it, someone who had the experience needed to run 
a company on the scale of Disney. And frankly, as he was speaking, a lot of the things he was discussing kind of it clicked in my mind the decisions he'd made over the past two and a half years, he just hadn't explained them well. And I think that's an important thing here. And he also went into detail about the Disney Plus plan moving forward, which is he wants all Disney content integrated. He wants everything customizable to the individual. And he kept stressing over and over again, not based on people you look like, but who you were specifically, which means Disney wants to go all in on targeting. They want to know you so well and what you love about Disney and then feed it back to you over and over again. And at the risk of just continually kicking Warner Brothers Discovery while it's down, Warner Brothers Discovery doesn't even know what it is, much less why anybody else would like it. That's the difference between the two companies. So in that case, memo to Bob Chappick, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, dressed as Captain America, in the Star Wars universe, please. I don't need to read your slash fiction. Thanks. <laughs> so since we were dabbling into green lights and cancellations, another show that actually Warner Bros. Discovery canceled or thought they had was Nassim Pedrad's Chad, which was running on TBS. They had actually put out trailers to season two, and now the show is gone, but only from TBS. Apparently, Roku Channel liked it enough that they've picked it up. So it, there is still hope for some shows that have been canceled. I wish that would happen to some of the Cartoon Network shows that uh, got dropped off of uh, HBO Max. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting aspect of this that we'd wondered the legality of because they're taking accounting tricks. It's come out this week that Warner Brothers Discovery is writing down more than $2 billion. And to do that, you have to be sure that everything you're doing is on the up and up. But Chad represents the first sign that maybe some of these projects that were, I mean, like there was one that was ready to air within the next 72 hours and it got canceled. I mean, it was that bad. These are finished projects. There should be somebody out there with, you know, deeper pockets than HBO Discovery, which, you know, is pretty much everyone who will have an interest in these things. We're just seeing now that the companies we've been expecting, the ones we've been calling have financial, you know, they're destitute, which are WBD and Comcast slash Peacock, they're having to make decisions like this. And other places like Roku can be the beneficiaries. And just on a personal note, it was obvious from Nassim Pedrad's comments. She is delight, by the way, one of the most talented people in the world. This was a personal project to her that mattered. And so I'm glad that she's at least getting her happy ending. But there's literally hundreds of other content creators out there who need this resolution as well. So I'm hopeful that it will be legal for WBD to sell these things to other people. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you you mentioned, David, huge, huge news coming out of Peacock, right? They uh, unfortunately canceled Girls 5 ever after season two, but then Netflix picked it up and they're going to be running with season three, even though it is produced by Universal, which is, of course, the Comcast company. So that's that's some pretty big news right there. Your combination of candlelight vigil and death threats has succeeded. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> and that's all we're going to say about Peacock today, right? <laughs> um, 
it's more than they deserve. But the, the thing about this story that's interesting is I, I told you, my first comment was watch them Cobra Kai this because we always talk about Cobra Kai started as YouTube Red and then it circled back to where it was Netflix. And once it was on Netflix, it became a massive hit. I absolutely believe that with this cast, Girls 5 Eva can have that happen because in addition to season three premiering on Netflix, they have the rights to broadcast seasons one and two. Now, don't worry, folks. You can still watch them on Peacock instead of Netflix if that's the streaming service you I can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we laugh, but it's true that uh, we see this with the all the DreamWorks animation shows that uh, that play on Netflix or even play on Hulu, but also play on Peacock. But who actually watches them on Peacock? And in one way, we speculate that nobody does. In another way, we don't know because Peacock refuses to have their viewership metered by Nielsen. So it could be nobody. It could be that millions of people are watching these shows on Peacock. But, you know, given the fact that the, they are a massive money loser, uh, that seems unlikely. Now, when you say massive money loser, what do you mean? In the last three months, as Comcast reported, I believe today, Peacock lost $614 million. Is that a lot? Well, it's not a billion, but Comcast happened to have lost billions more elsewhere in the last quarter. I mean, even the Los Angeles Dodgers aren't spending $200 million a month in net loss. You know, that that is a staggering amount of money. Uh, I have been pouring over Comcast documents today, and the whole thing is just one depressing story after the other. Raul, the $600 million loss is chump change compared to something else they did, isn't it? It's a rounding error compared to the fact that Comcast is taking an $8.6 billion write down on their purchase of Sky, the satellite provider in the UK. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how it is that you can lose that much money. And also, how do you get away with losing that much money and then just saying, you know what, we're just going to write it down. Uh, That's still $8.6 billion you no longer have. You can't just say it's a write down and walk away from that. But at least they got Sky for cheap, right? (laughs) Sky is what Comcast bought after they lost the bidding war for Fox with Disney. Disney and Comcast wanted both to buy Fox when Fox got put up for sale, when 20th Century Fox got put up for sale by the Murdoch family. And yes, Comcast came in and bid up the price and Disney had to pay more for Fox than they wanted to. But then once uh, that bidding war was over and Disney walked away with the spoils, Comcast happened to have a large check in their pocket and they said, well, we've got all these billions of dollars, so let's buy something else instead. And they bought Sky because then Disney did to Comcast what Comcast had done to Disney and Bob Iger was saying, hmm, maybe we want to buy, we want to bid on Sky as well. And they bid up the price. They bid up the price so much that now Comcast has to take a write down of $8.6 billion. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. And folks, just to pile on here, Disney owned 39% of Sky when this transaction executed, which is why it made sense for Disney to be involved with the bidding. It's a pin for the penny and for the pound situation. However, Iger was still salty about what Comcast had done in bidding up Fox, which cost them an additional $19 billion. So he got his punishment by entering a weird three-bid system for Sky, even though I don't think he really wanted to win it. And he kicked the price up to $39 billion for Comcast. And the worst part is, afterward, Comcast had to buy out Disney for another $15 billion. 
dollars. So when we talk about the acrimony over the Hulu conversation, this is where it stems from. They have never liked each other to begin with, but it is a cold war right now because Disney has just absolutely eviscerated Comcast's spreadsheet. Okay, that's pretty brutal. It does paint an interesting picture for what's going to be happening in the next, in the coming months as Disney and Comcast have to come to terms with Hulu as to who's going to end up owning it and who's going to have to pay billions of dollars to the other one at the end of that conversation. But I expect if Chappic is half the negotiator that Bob Iger was, uh, Comcast is going to get screwed again. All right. Well, that's a lot of talk, but do we have any rapid fire stories today, Kim? We sure do. In a sign of a continued thaw between streamers and theaters, Paramount will be premiering the new season of Yellowstone and Sylvester Stallone's new series, Tulsa King, on the big screen in AMC theaters. This is pretty much what we expect of movie theaters going forward. They're going to need to do these kind of event showings more and more. The fact that Paramount can uh, play nice with AMC these days is nice, and it gives AMC something to put on their screens, because honestly, I expect a lot of their screens are dark these days. Yeah, you touched on it. We, we've said for a while now that the future of the theatrical experience should in, include event programming. And as hilariously backward as this is, event programming now is airing a television series that's wildly popular in movie theaters first. The world doesn't make sense anymore, does it? Amazon should have premiered The Rings of Power on movie screens. HBO Max should have premiered House of the Dragon on movie screens. This would have helped the movie theaters. They would have sold popcorn and would have brought in tons of people to watch these things. Moving forward, we need to be seeing more of this. And it's the end of an era at Netflix as IndieWire is reporting that their first original series, Lilyhammer, is leaving the streamer next month after 10 years. Wow. Yep. We have to remember that Netflix originally didn't produce what we call today Netflix original content. They licensed it and Little Hammer was actually produced by, a, I believe, a, a Norwegian production house. And um, that licensing deal is expiring after 10 years and it's not being renewed. It's unclear where Lillehammer is going to be landing in the future, but it was nice. Uh, there was a big party recently to celebrate the uh, 10th anniversary of Netflix original content. And Ted Sarandos said some very nice things about Lillehammer. And so I don't think there's any ill will here. It's just simply the nature when you license content instead of producing your own original content, your shows end up leaving you one day. Don't worry, Kim. I'm going to download them so that we have them forever for you, okay? There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, Mark Rustigini, head of series development at Amazon, is out just a week after the first season of The Rings of Power wrapped up on the streamer. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds like maybe a, a sign of no confidence in him. Maybe they expected the series to do better? Maybe... Yeah, I don't think this has anything to do with Lord of the Rings. Specifically, this person had kind of bet their reputation on Paper Girls, which as we've discussed multiple times here, Amazon weirdly did no favors with promotion. And that's strange since somebody this powerful at Amazon was in charge of that production to an extent. So this is kind of a delayed reaction type of thing, but it's also been an expected move for a while now. Okay, Tim will be here later to tell us about the ratings this week. But before we start, we do want to mention that Hocus Pocus 2 is a legitimate blockbuster by streaming standards. It had 2.725 billion minutes 
And this wasn't for a full week, by the way, just to keep that in mind. And also just to show you the drawing power of the brand, Hocus Pocus also finished in third. Hocus Pocus had $774 million. So overall, we're talking about 3.5 million minutes viewed for people who really love those Sanderson sisters, don't they, Kim? Yes, and it's 3.5 billion minutes, not million. <laughs> so, My fault. And yeah. we're at Disney as we talk about this, which means we are probably seeing Sanderson sisters cosplay everywhere at Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party right now. We will be seeing all kinds of Sanderson sisters, I am sure. So we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, September 26th to Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. And to the surprise of nobody, we knew it was going to take a jump from next week, but your most watched thing of the week, though actually by, well, it's still a big margin, but maybe not as much as you would think, is Dahmer up to 4.3 billion minutes. (sighs) Oh, man. Um, Okay, That's, that's a lot of minutes, but at the same time, not a huge uptick over last week. Last week they got 3.6 billion, so another what's uh, 0.7 billion over the week before, and this was a full seven days. The week before it wasn't seven days, was it? No, actually it was mid midweek, so it wasn't thankfully just a three day number. That would have been horrifying. Uh, but yeah, so you're you're right to a degree, but that's this is still one of the biggest numbers that we've ever seen on this chart, and if you throw out you know the entirety of stranger things it might be the biggest number yeah so it's mortifying at the same time completely unexpected but you know here here it is and there's going to be i I think we're even going to see in a week or two like some other documentary rather than like a dramatization of it show up on the ratings because you know they had to strike while the iron was hot it's oh gosh what more than we'd say you know we were already sick of all the true crime and terrible stories that show up on these ratings chart because they're just horrible but when you take probably the most one of the most famous horrible stories of the last 30 years this this is what you get yeah every, everyone's jumping onto the Dahmer bandwagon I guess I saw that Tubi had what I believe is a documentary or docu-series on Jeffrey Dahmer titled Fresh Meat the Jeffrey Aww. Dahmer story uh it, oh my god really Tubi Really? Yeah, but I mean, this is terrible topic aside. This this is a huge win for Netflix. It's a huge win for Ryan Murphy. And yeah, this, unfortunately, this is apparently what people want. And I hate it. Yeah, well, hopefully it'll pass by and like Tiger King will never speak of it again. Well, I kind of wish that was the case. But you know, this, this is what a 30 year old story at this point, and And people are still loving it. I still remember being like, even in the, in the early mid nineties, there were plenty of jokes and references to it. So it's, it's time we brought it all back. Okay. <sighs> Moving on. Yeah. The original chart, not the most exciting list this week, but we'll, we'll go through it. Uh, there is some excitement in movies and we will get there in a moment, but it's mostly shows we've seen before. So we'll run through them. Uh, in second, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, six episodes, 966 million minutes. Uh, one or two more to go at this point? Yeah, I think it was eight episodes. So I yeah, I guess two more to go. Okay. I feel like we've kind of found its its limit. I think it is it is weird that these shows just kind of have plateaus at some point. And I think that's a limitation of Nielsen's measurements because it just it just seems weird that a show would you know continue to add episodes and kind of have the same amount of viewers that we do see sometimes on non-Netflix shows there is a small bump once the entire season arrives as people then could go for the the binge option but yeah I find it curious that this is it this is still very good I'm sure 
uh, Amazon's very happy and I expect an even larger advertising blitz for season two. Yeah, I think we're still years away from finding equilibrium on streaming shows and really understanding what the pattern is. For years, mm-hmm. of course, we understood how viewership numbers did on broadcast series, like maybe the first season of Friends didn't do so great, but word of mouth increased viewership over a couple of years. And then the the, the first couple of episodes of each season would have more viewers than Right. Yeah. Like the premieres of that season. And then we'd have diminishing returns season after season. Streaming is an entirely new beast here. We don't quite know yet what the pattern is supposed to be. We're simply looking to see and trying to find those patterns. And we see them with the Marvel and Star Wars series at Disney. And even then a Marvel series on uh, Disney plus is going to do differently than a Star Wars series on Disney plus. It's almost like the genre has a different pattern depending on what you're watching. Yes, yeah, so I'm super curious for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I expect probably the same number next week and then maybe a bump with the finale. And then again, we as we just had a couple of weeks ago, super curious if there is any major effect in whatever show Amazon decides to immediately hype or plug after football, because there's still plenty of football left this season, even though the Rings of Power season is complete. And if that has any impact on these ratings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, third, Cobra Kai, 653 million minutes, 450 episodes. Again, just continuing its slide down down the list in terms of viewership. One more season to go, and they seem to produce these pretty quickly, so maybe that's as soon as next year. Yeah, this is, at this point, feels very much like the like a placeholder for Cobra Kai until the climatic final season. Yeah. Great British Bake Off. We saw that return last week. It's now up to fourth, 559 million minutes for its 78 total episodes. As we say, they they air in the United Kingdom and then show up you know, a few days later, actually, on Netflix. I think we're still a week or two away from the ill-fated Mexican week. Uh, so ho- hold on to your uh, burritos for that one. It's- <laughs> yeah, the clock is ticking. It's it's coming. But the question is, of course, not how many viewers did that episode have, but how many viewers did it have after the buzz occurred? <laughs> yes, it's it's just violations of, of Mexican food. Uh, anyway, The Handmaid's Tale uh, from Hulu in fifth, 50 episodes, 544 million minutes for what is their arguably flagship show at this point, even though we are still big fans of Only Murders in the Building. It's it's been this one's been around much longer and basically gave them, you know, credibility as a place to put new series, original series. Mm-hmm. Andor is in six. This is from Disney Plus. Now up to four episodes, 485 million minutes. So hanging on after its premiere of the first first three, I think. We're going to see the same pattern. It's going to maybe slide a little bit and then uh, take a jump up towards the end as there's you know more episodes, more content, and people watch the, the whole thing because it did premiere with the first three. So that did give it a nice little bump at the start. Yeah, we'll have to see how Star Wars audiences really react to it over the duration of the season. There was some initial discussion about whether there, uh, whether it had the kind of engagement that a Star Wars series is supposed to have. It is a rather obscure character from the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that the positive reviews are helping and that over the next few episodes, we're going to see an uptick in viewership here. Yeah, because it, it, it is getting to the point at this point, if you were a minor character in any Star Wars movie, you very well may get a Disney Plus series named after you. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, Samuel L. Jackson and the Mace Windu series. Oh, that, that would actually do great. Yeah, it would. And, <laughs> and, and let's be clear, that's hypothetical. No one's announced that. Yes, we're, we've, we're not we're not breaking any news here, but no. that's I'm, I'm actually surprised there have there. I'm sure there's been discussions about about that. And <laughs> you know, Samuel L. Jackson is probably like, uh, show me the money or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or don't bother. <laughs> 
El Rey, Vincente Fernandez, a show that premiered last week, 469 million minutes for 36 episodes, this Colombian biopic slash telenovela slash drama that just vomits out a whole bunch of episodes on an almost daily basis, uh, in this case, Colombian television. And then they just drop the whole entire thing on Netflix in Spanish. So yeah, um, it does. It does feel very front loaded. It got its it got its bump the first week and now it's going to be it's going to be crashing fast. Yeah, I don't expect to see it next week or at least at the bottom with a number that just barely makes makes this chart because, I mean, you know, it takes a lot of time to watch 36 episodes. The Crown and probably still here a few weeks later after the death of the Queen and renewed interest into in it. And, you know, still up about a, you know another month before new episodes actually arrive on these ratings. 432 million minutes, 40 episodes, because we are just a bunch of sheep. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have the return of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, from to the list from this also from Disney Plus, 396 million minutes, seven episodes of the nine total in the season. So I expect it to stick around for the final two. I don't think we talked enough about it. I adored the final episode. I know some people it was probably too much, too inside or too meta, probably without giving things away. But I absolutely loved it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was one of those. Um, <laughs> part of the joke is the fact that the whole episode is designed to be fan service. And so if people who are looking for fan service, there's a whole lot of it going on in that episode. But there's also a lot of like inside joke humor that maybe I think didn't necessarily work on me, but I think a lot of fans will appreciate. And our only other new show this week is The Empress in 10th, 377 million, million minutes viewed for six episodes. Yeah, if I had to describe it, it would be the Austria-Hungarian version of The Crown. It's a German language series about the Empress of Austria-Hungary, a true life fictionalized, true life fictionalized, if that's an actual thing, account of the uh, of the actual Empress. And now I need to double check that we actually mentioned it on what's new that week. Yeah, I'm I gonna figure expect that we we, that did, we did, but we did. yeah, yes. okay. <laughs> It's it's so funny how some of these shows just make no impression whatsoever, and then all of a sudden they show up on the ratings, and I'm like, wait, wait, what is this? Where'd this come from? People watch that? Wow. Well, okay. it's German language, and I mean, if you look at the chart, there is a Spanish language series with El Rey Vicente Fernandez, mm-hmm. but it's not often that we get foreign language uh, series on on the top ten. Yeah, the Spanish shows I, I expect we've seen before, but and that's outside of your 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 Squid Games, you know, there, there aren't too many outside or, or that you know Eternal uh, Money highest as well yeah yeah Yeah. all right all right so in movies and we knew it was coming but i had kind of forgotten it was going to hit this week because we've have now turned the calendar to october but your top movie is hocus pocus 2 2.7 billion minutes viewed this arrived on disney plus on october 1st yeah you can count me in those minutes viewed it hit big it hit hard and this is exactly what disney wanted out of this so this was money well spent for for bob chapik yeah this it's amazing we saw the return of hocus pocus to the ratings last year and then i guess they, they realized how just beloved and how much this that movie was watched over the Halloween season. And then now that they have Disney Plus and they have they need content for it, they, they went ahead and, and said, sure, why not? Hocus Pocus 2 coming straight to Disney Plus. And I guess it's, I mean, I actually haven't heard review. I know Kim, Kim said they watched it, you watched it. I assume it's actually good because it's not like the Ho- original Hocus Pocus was like this critically you know acclaimed film. It just became just from repeated airings on TV. Everyone just kind of decided it was the Halloween movie to watch. Now here you have Hocus Pocus 2. <laughs> and it's doing 
absolute amazing numbers. This was just a four day uh, number. I don't know that I would call it good. It's certainly not Citizen Kane. It is a (laughs) step above Disney Channel content, I suppose. Let's see. Coming in with 63% fresh Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah, you know, I guess that was worth it. But you know what? This is this is a huge win for, for Disney and probably only cost them 40 million to make too. So yeah, if that got people to subscribe to Disney Plus to view it, then yeah, it, it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, in second is Lou, which we saw last week. Uh, nice little bump to 802 million minutes for the Alice and Johnny action film. Yeah, it's probably not going to be a huge smash, but it's uh, it's holding on for a second week. So I, I suppose that's something to be proud of. Yeah, that's actually quite good because they have something I think they had higher aspirations for that is not going to do as well. Speaking of in third, here is Hocus Pocus from this from Disney Plus. So once we hit October, since we had Hocus Pocus 2, might as well go back to the original too. So this dominated the chart last last October. So yeah, it's unsurprising to, to see it back. Now people have the sequel to view. So yeah, they're probably making it a, a thing to, to watch both. 774 million minutes is very solid. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of both as uh, David and Kim pointed out the fact that Hocus Pocus 2 is on the charts means that it's probably going to lift Hocus Pocus with it. But we also knew that Hocus Pocus did very well last year. And Mm -hmm. even if there wasn't a sequel, the original would have done very well. And I think we could expect in the the coming days, other Disney Halloween movies like A Nightmare Before Christmas is probably going to be showing up on this chart as well. Yep. I'd expect to see that as soon as next week. Uh, and fourth from Netflix, here is Blonde, 603 million minutes for their Marilyn Monroe biopic. Uh, how do I do a raspberry sound and not make it sound rude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, Out of the Armas vehicle. And I think they were aiming for some Oscar buzz for it. And that kind of went out the window pretty quickly as soon as this premiered. Yeah, it didn't click with critics. Uh, They were clearly trying to be somewhat meta and arty with the creation and critics hated it. And ironically, audiences hated it even more. 42% at Rotten Tomatoes, a 32% audience score at Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, Yeah. that's not good. Supposedly, she's okay in it to the point where she, if it's a light year, she may get a nomination. I'm I'm sure Netflix will do everything in their power to try and buy one. But yeah, it's not going to get anything beyond that. I think it may take a small jump next week. This did arrive on Netflix on the 28th, so it actually had most of the week. But maybe a small jump next week, but after that, it's going to plummet very quickly. Mm-hmm. Also new in fifth, this is DC League of Super Pets. This is from HBO Max. Uh, Another theatrical release now making its way to streaming. Uh, 408 million minutes. Mm, yeah, not 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 bad. It it actually arrived on uh, HBO Max on 26. So this this is the the full week. But you know, HBO Max is actually not doing terribly with their with their movies. Yeah, the uh, charts. I I wonder if it could be that maybe one of the most successful of uh, the DC theatrical movies is going to be a cartoon about Superman's dog. Well, this year at least. Yeah. <laughs> As Black Adam opens and then completely collapses. Uh, yeah, we'll probably bring that up again at some point. But you know, 93 million uh, domestic box office, actually 200 million worldwide. Yeah, that that's a win So for, for Warner. So sure. And then yeah, just to see it here and 
yeah, I'm actually always glad to see HBO Max have a successful movie on the on these Nielsen charts. Yeah, you and David Zasloff both. <laughs> All right, that's two of us. Okay. <laughs> uh, six is A Jazz Man's Blues. This is the Tyler Perry, A Jazz Man's Blues that we saw last week, 406 million minutes in sixth. Uh, something new in seventh, Last Scene Alive, 377 million minutes. This is, oh, Gerard Butler. Okay. Yes, when was he last seen alive? I think it was the, <laughs> before prior to this movie. Where, where'd he go? <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing this is old-fashioned DVD shovelware. It's just shown up on uh, Netflix instead these days. Yeah, uh, apparently actually had a theatrical release, earned about $6 million somehow, and came out a couple months ago and arrived on Netflix on October 1st. So, yep, there you go. Okay. okay. So it actually wasn't a Netflix film, surprisingly enough. But yeah, it does absolutely fit in with the, yes, what is this doing in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is this doing here? But I, I have given up trying to figure out these ratings, but it's always good for, for a laugh. Speaking of good for a laugh, in eighth, The Monsters, 359 million minutes. This is the Rob Zombie adaptation. <laughs> Rob Zombies, The Monsters. Rob Zombies, The Monsters. <laughs> I had some kind of hopes that this one would be all right, because Rob Zombie, he's actually given, you know, even though he's mainly done horror movies, he's, he's actually not a terrible film director. Uh, this just didn't quite work though it 49 percent uh fresh unfortunately uh i'm actually surprised it's here but i don't expect it to be stick around too long even though it's you know appropriate for october audience score 35 percent at rotten tomatoes oh yeah this won't last too long and just because they continue to get wackier uh in ninth here is something called inheritance 350 million minutes Yes, this is a 2020 movie starring Lily Collins, Simon Pegg, and Patrick Warburton for some reason. Lily Collins stars in this movie alongside Simon Pegg, where a father of a wealthy family passes and a shocking secret left behind may destroy what's left. Yeah, well, when was the last time we saw Patrick Warburton in a drama? <laughs> right? Yeah. But that, I mean, that is an intriguing premise. I want to see this movie now. <laughs> kind of, right? When I saw the names, I was like, wait, <laughs> Simon Pegg? <Yeah. laughs> Wait, then you notice Patrick Warburton in the description of like, wait, but in a, in a drama, not playing like, you know, putty or you know, appearing <laughs> in every commercial in, in, in the last 20 years. Oh, Netflix and Nielsen, will you never cease to provide endless amounts of entertainment as we stare at these ratings and go, what are people doing? What are you watching? <laughs> uh, okay. We actually wrap up movies with the movie that was on top last week. That's actually Father Stew falling to 10, 312 million minutes for the Mark Wahlberg. Uh, film. I wonder what this says about faith-based movies. I guess they come out uh, they come out pretty front-loaded, and they just don't have legs. Their intended audience watches them, and then nobody else really sticks around. Yeah, that was always common for the the genre, especially when it was primarily at theaters. They they would sometimes actually they'd open and then take a small have a very good hold, or take a, sometimes even take a small jump, and then just disappear very quickly as once uh, the target audience had had seen it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, over in Acquired, it is nine shows that we've seen before, once again, led by House of the Dragon, 907 million minutes. So down from its peak, seven episodes now. How many was this one as well? This one's 10 episodes. So it's uh, coasting okay. into its uh, finale there. Yeah. Three more weeks. Okay. I think it was right. We, we had, I believe we discussed last week that the finale was coming that weekend that we were recording. So, okay. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm curious. People seem to 
like I, we've we've just multiple times now people are way more into this one it feels like than lord of the rings at least in terms of investment mm-hmm. so i expect it to take a jump probably crack a billion again or for those last couple episodes and and then i'm really curious what happens from from there like does it hang around uh, as evergreen content that we always see on this acquired list you know cocomelon and cis gray's anatomy supernatural or does it just not have enough episodes or will people come back once the once there's a, a new season of it in the future yeah there's there's more seasons to come so I expect that there's going to be a continued interest in the show and maybe even perhaps if there's some promotions along Black Friday for an HBO Max subscription that might Mm. actually see an uptick in uh, viewership as usually these promotions don't happen in a vacuum. They they happen with uh, sizzle reels telling you, and, and these are the shows you can watch on HBO Max if you sign up for this promotion, and you can bet House of the Dragon's going to be on that list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Our one new show this week is All the Way in 10th, and I totally forgot till it showed up here. A few years ago, they rebooted Dynasty for the CW, and here it is. Somehow they made 86 episodes, and it has 450 million minutes viewed. Oh boy. Once again, the fifth season uh, was the final season. It premiered, it actually began in December of 2021. And somehow the final episode aired September 16th of this year. And just uh, a week or two later, here it is on Netflix and here it is on the ratings. (sighs) Yeah. uh, What is there left for them to cancel on the CW at this point? (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) So if we get a show that shows up on the ratings, I look it up and I'm like, oh, this was the final season. Okay. There aren't too many left. And well, I mean, not that the CW is, is long for this this world, but their their business model of make shows and sell them to, to Netflix. Uh, I, I guess it's done well for them, but uh, time's running out. Yeah. I don't know who produced Dynasty. Uh, most of these other shows on the CW were produced either by Warner Brothers Television or Paramount Television. And both of them, even, uh, even in this climate where Warner Brothers is cutting back, Paramount is squarely looking to add more content to Paramount Plus. And so neither of them is interested in uh, in putting their shows on the CW anymore. That's the problem the CW has. So yeah, right now the CW has to just buy what they can get. And most of their original sources of content have dried up. And just since I had to check, this is actually apparently one of the production companies involved is CBS Studios and the distributor is CBS Media Ventures. So this (laughs) this really should be on Paramount Plus, but they have the agreement with the CW and probably has the agreement with Netflix. That's it. Yeah, the CW had that deal with Netflix. And so a lot of those uh, Arrowverse shows, for instance, uh, The Flash, The the Arrow and Mm -hmm. and so forth were showing up on Netflix. But even those deals are starting to expire. And we can expect that a lot of those shows are going to be showing up on HBO Max and Paramount Plus sooner rather than later. Netflix, Netflix doesn't care. They're, they'll take the win while they can, but it's the CW is the, the real loser here. Well, now, now CW apparently has the Winchester. So, you know, only 324 more episodes to catch up to Supernatural. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, there it is. Supernatural at number eight on the ratings. Yeah, just literally 327 episodes because that's, that's why most of the shows, you have Supernatural 327, Grey's Anatomy 396, NCIS 339. When Criminal Minds was on Netflix, that had also had a few hundred. So yeah, that, that's mostly why those shows are here, but it is just hysterical. Mm-hmm. This whole mo- this whole model of, of just producing things to sell to Netflix, which is our primary source of income, but at least that's what it appears uh, we've cracked the code. But the, the, yeah. they, they maybe they're they're running out of shows to do that with. Yeah. Um. Outside of the two big things, you know, Dahmer uh, just dominating with four billion, and Hocus Pocus two just coming out of the gate with you know two point seven billion minutes viewed. Not a big week outside of that. I'm curious to see what Hocus Pocus two does over the month because we. We saw Hocus Pocus stick around every single week 
last October. So I'm curious now what what happens there and i'm sure we'll see some other halloween content and see what happens with with Dahmer and expect at least one other related program to show up on the ratings at some point because people just you're all sick that's all i can say <laughs> all right and that's that's all i've got for this week all right thank you tim all right as always we close out with what's been keeping us busy and for me i have listened to a podcast called this is history a dynasty to die for with historian dan jones it is specifically about the plantagenets it starts out with eleanor of aquitaine's story which is really gripping and shockingly good some of house of the dragon is based on some of the plantagenet history so that's been interesting. If you like history and if you like listening to it in podcast form, Dan Jones is a great historian and he's done a terrific job of just talking about it and making it digestible. This is really good stuff. And Raul, what's been keeping you busy? I was very excited about a movie on Hulu called Rosaline, which you guys had mentioned was coming up while I was traveling, so I didn't get to talk about it at the time. And I got to watch it just this past week and I loved it. I think the message I sent to David was that it is a modern 10 things I hate about you. Not in the sense that it is a modern interpretation of that movie, but rather that it is a 21st century romantic comedy that really works and also, you know, happens to be based on a William Shakespeare play. The story is about Rosaline, Juliet's cousin. After she unintentionally stands up a Romeo at a party, her cousin, Juliet starts dating Romeo. Rosaline, who was played by Caitlin Deaver, tries to sabotage Romeo and Juliet's relationship and get her boyfriend back. Juliet is played by Isabella Merced, who previously played Dora in the Dora the Explorer movie. She is a delight. She plays Juliet as a naive waif and plays right into Rosaline's hands, while Kyle Allen plays Romeo as a kind of a dim guy. I will say that Kyle Allen does his best Heath Ledger from 10 Things I Hate About You. That is the look he's going for. That is the mannerisms he does in this movie. I don't think he can be Heath Ledger, but that is a fantastic imitation of the character. It is a hilarious comedy. There is some anachronistic elements. They play modern music in certain places. Rosaline certainly speaks like a modern teen. There's some great supporting roles by uh, Minnie Driver and Bradley Whitford. And I recommend it to everyone. You can catch it on Hulu. It's a light comedy and doesn't end the way you would expect Romeo and Juliet to end. And I'll throw in the fact that if you like Kyle Allen in that, you should also watch the Amazon uh, movie, The Map of Tiny Perfect Things, which is kind of Groundhog Day-ish with them. And then I'll go ahead and do mine because it makes me happy. I have spent part of this week ignoring the horrible, horrible news cycle that uh, Matthew Perry is going through by rewatching Go On, the Matthew Perry series that should have lasted much longer than one season. It had just an incredible cast, an incredible cast. They even somehow made Terrell Owens funny in a recurring role. That is not a joke. It's a story of a, a man who suddenly discovers himself widowed and he doesn't know what to do with himself. 
So he joins a help group and they're all suffering losses of their own and they bond over the course of the season and it is absolutely amazing and you don't need to know anything else about it other than this. It is on the Roku channel. You can watch it for free and you could tell whether or not you like it by watching the pilot and then watching the second to last episode, which is called Fast Breakup, wherein he becomes a mascot for a while. Those two episodes, if they work for you, the entire show is like that. If they don't work for you, uh, you and I are very different people. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. <laughs>